Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Matt Hofeld, along with Rich DeCray, Oklahoma, Alabama, just uh, less than less than two weeks, a week and a half away. But it's recruiting that's dominating the airways today. Oklahoma uh, bringing in a very, very prestigious recruiting class on the first day of the early signing period. 22 signees in all. Here's how it breaks down. There's two five-star recruits on this class, 12 four-star recruits and nine three-star recruits come into Oklahoma. It makes up 11 different states across the nation in eight different positions. And, Rich, I think when you begin to look at this class, you you immediately got to start, in my opinion, at the quarterback position with Spencer Rattler. But I want to say he's kind of like the crown jewel of, of the class. He's the number one pro-style quarterback, according to 24-7 Sports, 23rd uh, rated player in the nation, number one player coming out of the state of Arizona. I mean, you look at him and you think, okay, that's it. That's, that's your crown jewel, right? You got the top quarterback in the country. But then you see like a guy like Theo Weese, that's that's the number three receiver in the nation. He's also a five-star. What are you, some of your initial thoughts on this class? Who, who stands out to you? Who I mean, who, do, who would you say is that crown jewel player? I'm actually going to switch sides of the ball on you for one simple reason. And that's something that we've seen this entire recruiting cycle. Oklahoma parts ways with Mark Stoops, Mike Stoops, excuse me. Yeah, Mark's still at Kentucky. That's right, as the defensive coordinator. And there are a lot of questions concerning what's next for the defense, not just because of their performance on the field, but also because they're, they're really – there have been candidates who have been named, but we don't have any more information outside of that. Lincoln Riley has consistently met with recruits and said, hey, look, we are moving forward with the plan to win a national championship, and we'll worry about that defensive coordinator once we're done with that. But the ability to retain some of these defensive recruits and then even pick up some right. commitments – Today, um, I think that that stripling kid has an opportunity to be someone special in Norman, especially if he can not single-handedly, but be a part of the group that begins to right the ship Mm -hmm. with the defense. So like I said, I'm really looking at the defense. Marcus Stripling is that name for me, a defensive end. You've got to have a pass rusher. He appears to be that. And the ability to get a four-star kid over the likes of some of those teams' powerhouses in the SEC, I think speaks volumes, not only for Lincoln Riley and his current staff, but the way they celebrate these kids when they make the commitment, it speaks volumes to, to just how excited they are to have a player like that or the safety who who also flipped this morning as well. Yeah, and if you haven't seen it, we've got a pretty cool celebration uh, clip at heartland-sports.com. Uh, Lincoln Riley and staff, uh, when they, they learned of a commitment, you know, you look, there's 22 players in this class. Of the 22 players, 11 of them are on the defensive side of the ball. Six defensive linemen, four defensive backs, one linebacker. And it's a good point that you make that they're doing this without a defensive coordinator. This is full-on trust in Lincoln Riley type type stuff. And what's what to me the most amazing thing about it is not that they got 11 defensive players to, to jump because you think I mean think about it from this perspective. You're you're a high caliber defensive prospect. You're a four or five star guy, even a three star guy. And and you maybe if, even if you're a heavy lean on Oklahoma to, to kind of have blind faith in Lincoln Riley to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to be a part of this thing. I'm going to be a part of what's happening at this school, at this university. I want to be on that campus. I want to make the change. 
to do that without even having the assurance of who is actually going to be coordinating the defense you're playing on, that's impressive. But even more impressive than that are the two defensive backs, the two safeties who made their decision today. You know, you got the kid uh, that was the Oregon commitment. Jeremiah Cradell. Who this morning did the horns down on ESPN, which I'm sure the Big 12 is already going to ask for an apology. Um, (laughs) And and then you got the kid out of of Arlington, Texas, that was the uh, Arizona State commit who, you know, know, do you know when they offered him? I don't know if you read the post or not, but do you know when they offered him uh, this kid out of? I don't. I don't. This morning. So we're recording this Wednesday night. It's, hopefully, it's it's going to go up tonight. And but you know, but they offered him the 19th of December, the day of the opening of of this, the early signing period. So to get him to flip like that without even knowing who the defensive coordinator is, it's pretty impressive to me. Um, but I, you know, the offensive breakdown is like this: you got the quarterback uh, in um, Spencer Rattler. I, I, I almost made a huge mistake there. I, I, I was almost at Spencer Sanders, which is the guy who went to Oklahoma State last year in their signing class. But you got the, you got the quarterback. You got two running backs. Uh, one of them, a really highly touted kid out of Millwood, that I think is going to be um, a fun kid to watch. Three receivers and four offensive linemen, which I look at those offensive linemen. To, to me, and if I'm breaking down these on, on specific sides of the ball, I'm looking at Spencer Rattler at the quarterback position, and I'm thinking that's that's a must. That that's that is a huge get. Oklahoma's fairly deep at running back. You got a, a, a JUCO kid that's coming in in this class is going to be a plug and play guy, which allow, which allows you to take Mar- Marcus Major, the kid from Millwood, and maybe redshirt him next year. Well, you, you never know, but you know. You're still deep at running back. You're deep at receiver. So to me, the, the next priority on this offensive side of the ball is the offensive line. Exactly. And to have those guys come in there, you got four of them coming in to start working with Bill Bedenboe. And and what, I mean, look look at the transition of a guy like Creed Humphrey. You know, from the time he got on campus to what he is right now, that I believe Bedenboe has enough of a track record at this program. To kind of think that's going to start being the thing with linemen at the University of Oklahoma. Don't don't you agree with that or, or no? I I do. Um, you look at so this year Oklahoma loses two. Was it two All American linemen? It was at least one. We do know that they were replacing two offensive linemen. So you're talking about going into the season? Yeah, going yeah, into the okay. season. And, and well, the you're replacing Eric Green in the middle. You're replacing right. Orlando Brown. Yeah, the work that's been done in such a short time. With Bill Bedenboe, you have to be excited for the recruits that he's bringing in because you know he has individually evaluated these guys and he's assessed their potential and said they have what it takes to play to fill those holes when they're vacated. And we're looking at an offensive line this year that, depending on who declares for the draft, could potentially lose four players. Yeah, that, that, that's, um, that's we, huge. We know we're losing two, but it could potentially yeah. be four. Creed Humphrey would be the anchor of that. And again, he's still a young player in this system. So bringing guys alongside of him, developing those players that when Creed Humphrey's a senior, he has a strong line once again there playing right alongside him. I mean, Bill Bedenboe's done done an incredible job at evaluating potential and getting kids to live up to that. Yeah, one guy that I would really uh, look at on that offensive line recruit is the kid from Coffeyville, the junior college. Uh, uh, Finley Felix is his name. Dude is a beast of a man, 6'5", 310 pounds. I mean, he he's that kind of guy that that Oklahoma has started to become known for on their offensive line. And just as I was talking about the run, the junior college running back coming in and being an immediate plug-and-play guy, Finley Felix may be on that same mold as well as being a guy that comes in there and it doesn't take long to get him ready to get him in the game and, and ready to play. If you flip sides to the defensive side of the ball, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you really – you can kind of tell what the big need was by the breakdown. You got six defensive linemen, you got four defensive backs, and Rich, I don't, I really don't know. I, I struggle with this of trying to figure out which one of these positions is more critical for the University of Oklahoma. And I, I gotta say, I really think, I, I think it's the defensive line, and I'm just saying that because you've got young talent 
in that defensive secondary. They're still not good, but there's young talent in that defensive secondary. And when you're bringing in guys like Laron Stokes, or the, the again, a junior college kid who uh, – you don't bring in a junior college kid to develop him. You bring in a junior college kid because you hope that he can be an immediate impact. And maybe they have that in Laron Stokes. But to me, the defensive line, particularly pass rushers, had to have been a priority in this. And I think when you see that there's six guys, and 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 I don't know if you, you knew this or not, but the breakdown of the six guys, five of them are defensive ends, and only one of them is a defensive tackle. That's Derek Green coming out of um, out of Jacksonville, North Carolina. The other five, the other five guys are are pass rushers, which goes to show what Oklahoma has lacked on this defense. And, and it's crazy, even in a spread offense. Of the Big 12, if you can put pressure on the quarterback, suddenly your defensive backs get a lot better. But if you can't get pressure on the quarterback, then your defensive backs are a lot worse. Not saying Oklahoma's <laughs> defensive backs are amazing by any stretch of the imagination, but a good pass rush makes a world of difference for defensive backs. For me, I'm going to take the opposite portion of your equation there because I think the defensive line, you're, you're talking about young defensive ends. As well, and the problem here is, while I thought they they played decently, the problem that you have along the defensive line is you didn't have this star guy like we've had in the past. You want to talk about the Eric Strikers of the past? You who was the next guy in line oh, for that role? Yeah, exactly. So we had these guys who had this star power, if you will, and this just natural ability to find a way into the backfield, regardless if they were playing that linebacker position or they were playing the defensive end position. I didn't feel like we necessarily had a guy who consistently did that. Oklahoma had to get a little bit more creative. Statistically, I'm not even going to go there on you, but if we were, um, I think you would be surprised by some of the numbers. So I'm going to say in, in just the eye test here, the defensive backs – failed to cover on a consistent basis. And when they did cover, they missed tackles. So what we needed, that's a technique thing. I know that's what you're about to say. These are things that are correctable. I get that. But again, you want to bolster that group by bringing in guys who already have the ability and already have this basic skill set in place to make those types of plays when another guy can't. Well, not like this is going to become some huge argument or debate. But see, (laughs) here's the thing. I believe the the missed tackling, the, the problems in tackling is technique. Some of that is – look at a guy like Buki who everybody – no one no one questions his his um, his instincts. A lot of people question his fundamentals, and that's because he's young. But that said, if, if I'm I'm the if I'm Deion Sanders covering a guy, a receiver for three seconds, for a three-second window – or covering a receiver for a five-second window, night and day difference. It shouldn't matter. Though. No, it does matter. Because no, it okay, do- absolutely here's, matters. Here's my point, okay? Because against Texas that first time, the very first time mm-hmm. these two teams played, what was the weakness? It was that simple slant, simple curl, little Jordan Humphrey right. on the edge all day long. But some of that schematics. That most playing, of that is most of seven, that is schematics. Playing this seven to ten yard cushion just isn't gonna cut well, it's it. But not it, makes, just, it makes me question, do we have the athletes who can okay. physically bump and run? No, no, you don't bump and run in the Big Twelve. I, I, I saw <laughs> I, listen, I saw a video of on Twitter of Alabama's defensive backs. And and they're they, you know they're they're going up against guys who were number five, number eighty, obviously mimicking Marquise Brown, Grant Calcaterra, and they're doing bump and run. I hope they bring bump and run. I hope they do. You don't bump and run in the Big Twelve because you're you, there's too much speed. Now you don't get. I, I don't. I agree on on third and three. You don't give a ten yard cushion either. But the point is that's schematic in that there's you you can't coach size. You know, and you, when you got the big size mismatch. The way you beat that is you bring pressure from the edge. That worked so well against Oklahoma because there's no defensive end there that can get his hands up and take that lane away, and there's no linebacker that can commit to slide over because the middle is is too soft. You see what I'm saying? 
So it's not all on defensive backs. What I'm talking about, I'm talking about downfield coverage. I'm talking about a post route, a go route, a drag route. When when you when the quarterback has time for a the most dangerous thing that can happen for a defensive back is for the quarter the receiver to have enough time to break route and to begin to freelance. That's one of the things that Kyler Murray and and CD Lamb and Marquise Brown have done really well because of what Kyler Murray does and how good this offensive line is. You can't cover that. As a defensive back, you can't cover it. If you're on man, it's it's just a matter of breaking the route. If you're in zone, you begin to question, am I floating too far out of my zone covering this guy as the next guy seeing him coming over? There's just so many different things that go wrong on a defensive back when you can't get pressure on a quarterback. That, that's that's all I'm saying. I, I'm not saying Oklahoma's defensive backs, again, I'm not saying that they're great. All right, I think the potential's there and the young potential's there, particularly at the safety spots. But I'm, feeling, I'm saying that there needs to be some help on those guys from this defensive line. And I feel like that was at least addressed through this recruiting class Except for they're all young guys, except for one. You, you got you got one guy coming in that's a junior, a JUCO kid that can potentially see the field next year. They're, the rest of the guys, if they see the field, they're they're doing it as true freshmen, and that's always a hit or miss spot to be so in. Let me ask you this one question then: If we look at the the larger picture here, and we want to begin forecasting for next year, is is twenty nineteen is the season? more of a rebuilding phase for Oklahoma? The answer to that question, we're going to have to talk about it after Chris Plank comes on with this. The answer to that question is going to be in the quarterback position because I, I don't feel like, I mean, you don't re, you don't rebuild at Oklahoma. I mean, you, you don't. I mean, this no offense to our friends up north, but this isn't Oklahoma State, all right? It's not Texas Tech. It's not Kansas State. This is Oklahoma. This is a blue blood program. Oklahoma and Texas are the only two blue blood programs in the Big 12, and I'm using quotations, but no one can see me, because Texas has been rebuilding for a long time, and blue bloods don't rebuild. So it's a reloading, but the the quality of what Oklahoma is going to do next, have next year and the depth of how far they will go relies on the signal caller, and we'll have to get into that uh, as we bring in a special guest to talk a lot of stuff with this. So All right. let's bring well, let's, in Chris uh, Plank. Let's bring in the one and only Chris Plank. You guys may know him as uh, Oklahoma's sideline reporter for uh, football, but truthfully, man, you're probably the, the hardest working guy, uh, if not the one of the hardest working guy in the sports scene. I would imagine if you had business cards, they're probably like postcard size with all of your titles. Is that right? I, I hadn't even thought of that. That's a really good point, especially now that you add a a few serious XM shows on there as well, too. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to carry those bad boys around in my pocket, man. How are you, bud? I'm really good, man. I'm really good. I hope, uh, hope you and your family are getting ready for a, a great Christmas. I know a lot of, a lot of things coming up, uh, starting with the Orange Bowl, Oklahoma, Alabama. Are you guys going to be able to celebrate some family time before heading to Miami? So we just got the official the, – the team's going out on, the I believe, the 23rd. And I'm part of the official party, so we don't have to go out that early. I don't, uh, thankfully, but not like I wouldn't want to. I mean, heck yeah, I'd love to be able to go out early, early with the team. I'm sure the do- I'm sure my daughters and my son would love Christmas on the beach. But uh, in all reality, we're not leaving until the 27th, so we get a chance to do Christmas. Now, I will say this just because. Uh, my biggest fan is my mom, so she'll probably listen to this, which means I am very sorry, Mom, that we're unable to make <laughs> our trip to St. Louis. But, uh, yeah, there's there some prices that have to be paid. But when you're going to try to win a championship, uh, these are just minor sacrifices in the chase for eight. Yeah, everybody's got to make sacrifices, right? That's right. That's right. You know, you, you had, uh, you, you've been privileged back-to-back years to cover a Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of guys in the industry that can say that, um, and really most of the guys that can say that now are, are covering Oklahoma football. What has it been like for you the last two years to see Baker Mayfield play? To, you know, to me, I, I look at it and I think, man, how was this a competition between Kyler Murray and Austin Kendall? That's not a slide at all to Austin Kendall. It's just a testament to how good Kyler was. What is yeah. it like for you to be on the sidelines, to interview these guys, to be around them back-to-back years, to, to go through all of that? So I'll add this. We're, we're pretty lucky on the Sooner Radio Network to have a sideline analyst. And, 
you know, Dusty and, and Teddy were fantastic when they did it. And when Teddy moved up to the booth, we brought Gabe Eichert on board, and Gabe has just been an awesome addition. So I lay that out because the normal role for sideline reporters is a lot of times to really be there kind of maybe a, a little bit closer to the field, watching the game, getting injury updates. We have sideline analysts. So, man, I've been pretty lucky, man. I've been able to sit and just really watch – Every move. Some might laugh, but it's I, I don't always get to watch. Usually I watch the game on the big screen. You know, I'm, I'm kind right. of following on the jumbotron in the end zones because I have legitimately been basically just walking every move that these guys make on the sideline for the last two years. And you can go back further. I mean, uh, when, when we brought on our analysts, I took that role as I'm going to be the fans' eyes as to what's going on here on the sideline. If it's something as minor as maybe Baker getting into a wide receiver uh, or, or, or going over to fire up his offensive line or, or Kyler Murray talking with Bill Beanbow about something he saw whenever, say, an opposing team brought a different blitzer that they weren't expecting, whatever it might be, I've really lived that. And I don't say that to sit here and try to hurt my elbow, patting myself on the back. I'm just saying we're lucky because basically there's a guy that's assigned to watch every move on the bench. So in that, it has been fantastic. It's been beyond words to describe how cool it is to watch. And, you know, it's not just one year with Baker. You're thinking three years with Baker and a year with Kyler. To see how they handle themselves once they step over the white line from the field back to the bench. You know, when they go from – being the guy out there making plays to the guy that's talking to coaches in the game planning, the guy that's trying to keep guys fired up, maybe the guy that realizes it's time to chill and let's just sit back and, and relax a little bit. So it's been really cool because I feel like I've truly gotten to know these guys' personalities a little bit. Now, we're all not best friends, and I'm not you know, texting Kyler or Baker to let them know how great their game was, but just I see it, and I've seen it firsthand, and I've watched it evolve and develop, and that's what's been really, really cool for me because, you know, we, as Barry Switzer said, you know, we invented championships at Oklahoma. But, you know, Eisman Trophy winners, there's a record number of busts. Well, busts, gold statues are going to be out, bronze statues that's going to be out there. But it's still, it's so uncommon to see anything like this in back-to-back years. You know, USC, even though Reggie Bush isn't acknowledged as a Heisman winner, USC did it a handful of years back, but then you really got to go back. Right. You know, Archie Griffin, the back-to-back right. years, Doc Blanchard and guy. I mean, it, it, it defies explanation, the excellence that we've seen at the quarterback position the last couple of years, and it's been just beyond an honor to, to watch these guys play. Well, how much pressure do you think that puts on the next guy, be it Austin Kendall, Tanner Mordecai, Spencer Radler, whoever takes the reins of this offense? How much pressure is on their shoulders following these two Heisman winners? Your hope is that it's not pressure and it's excitement, right? I mean, that, right. that's your hope. And, and your hope is that they look at it not as, oh, my gosh, I've got to live up to that level. Your hope is that, oh, my goodness, I get to play in this offense with these playmakers. And, you know, we're going to see an incredible influx of talent at the receiver position when signing day uh, wraps up. So you're going to have even more toys to play with, if you will. So uh, and, and at the tight end position, I should add that as well, too. So, I, my thought on that, Matt, I, I hope that they don't put pressure on them. And I'm sure fans will because that's what we do and talk show hosts and, and writers. That's what we do. But my, my hope is that there is that excitement level for fans, or for them, because they know what they're getting an opportunity to be a part of. Listen to Center Nation, the online podcast for Heartland Sports. Chris Plank, our guest. Chris. Um, we talked about this last week on our show. I'm not going to give you my answers because I want to hear yours as a guy who covers okay. the team in and out. Give me, going as the team gets ready to go to Miami, what are the top three storylines around the game, not just from the Oklahoma sideline, but the overall top three storylines as Alabama and Oklahoma head to Miami? Well, Matt, you know, I tend to be a little bit long-winded, so I'll include <laughs> one storyline into the same number so I can get my other two in here. I think the injury situation with both mm-hmm. Tua and Marquise Brown is huge. And Lincoln, I don't know how much more in-depth he'll go at his signing day presser, but Lincoln last said that, hey, listen, he hasn't done much. He's not a definite yes. He's not a definite no. I think um, there, there's an immense amount of talent on this roster at the receiver position. But 
he has he's got to play. You know, you you right. you need him out there if you're going to win the game. So uh, I think that's huge for Oklahoma. And 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 Tua, if this guy's able to play after having his ankle surgery and what's being described as uh, the ability to zip tie a couple ligaments together. I mean, my goodness, media technology and the advancements we've made. So count me among those that is not necessarily sold that two is going to be 100% despite the video and everything that's out there. But that's, that's big storyline number one, the injuries. Uh, the big storyline number two, if you looked on the field, is going to be, uh, and maybe this is Captain Obvious seeing a little bit, the battle in the trenches. The best, in my opinion, offensive line in football, in college football, and what Oklahoma has versus the best defensive line in football based on NFL talent. I mean, Alabama's defensive line has two first-round picks and maybe when all is said and done, the number two pick in the draft in the interior of their defensive line going up against Samia Powers and Creed Humphrey. Um, that, that, to me, I'm just I'm fascinated by that matchup. And then you flip it around on the other side, and, you know, Alabama's offensive line is up for the Joe Moore Award. And Oklahoma's defensive line has a chip on its shoulder because of the way that they've been positioned. But it's not due to a lack of talent. Um, I mean, you got uh, – I, I think people are going to be surprised whenever they see where Monty Bledsoe starts slating in draft talk. I think he's going to be a lot higher than people think. Neville Gallimore um, has, has shown an ability there at times. So – I think the, the battle in the trenches is big story number two. And then uh, I, I guess if I'm just having to pick a third one, it's not getting caught up in the aura and the mystique of, oh, my goodness, it's Bama, and all year long I've heard about how great they are. It's almost fitting that the 30 for 30 on the Buster Douglas-Mike Tyson fight came out, and not because I look at it at those types of odds by any stretch, because mm-hmm. I, I think Oklahoma is much closer to Alabama than – we thought Buster Douglas was to Mike Tyson, but there was some key thoughts in there that reminded me of this matchup. And it was a lot of people were beaten when Mike Tyson walked to the ring. You know, they was like, Oh my gosh, I'm fighting this mad dog who is just knocked people out left and right. He destroyed, you know, Michael Spinks has even said it as much. You can't allow yourself to get beat before kickoff. So I think that's going to be just not allowing yourself to get caught up in this is the greatest college football team ever, and, and, and they, can't, they can't be stopped, and they can stop anyone. And I think as long as Oklahoma you know, handles that first punch or that punch that is even coming before we start, I think they're going to be okay come December 29th. I really do. So those are three storylines that I'm definitely keeping an eye on. The injury situation with two and Marquise Brown, the battle in the trenches, and then, of course, dealing with the mystique of Alabama and how everyone has told you how great they are. Yeah, we got to talk just a little bit more about defense. I I had said earlier that uh, Alabama's defense doesn't scare me as much because I think Oklahoma's offense is just there's there's so Lincoln Riley is a, is just the master of, of creating that mismatch to get the one on one downfield that he wants or to get that 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 space that he needs for one of his speed guys. Oklahoma's going to score points. What scares me, flipping that over, is Alabama uh, Oklahoma's defense against Alabama's offense. What can you say to a a, a guy who's not in the know who doesn't who doesn't see what you see? But there's a lot of fans out there who feel the same way. What, what can you say to maybe to ease those doubts a little bit? I'm right there with you. I wish I could. I mean, <laughs> you know, I talk, to, to, Toby and I were talking about this on, on, on our radio shows the other day, and that is, you know, Bama has shown the ability to score with anyone in the country. They can, uh, it's, it's much different than any Alabama team that we've seen in this position before. They can go out and they can – uh, they can throw the ball all over the yard. They have the Blitnikoff um, Award winner in Judy at one receiver. They have a three-headed monster at tailback. You know, your concern is uh, you know that they can, you know they can score, but what if they decide that their their best defense is to keep your offense off the field, and they just decide they're going to pound it away with their three-headed monster, and that's mm-hmm. what they go and do. So that that's a concern for me in a big way. But, I mean – your hope is that there is a, a game plan that has been put together that can help counter this. Your hope is that, you know, Caleb Kelly can be that difference maker that he's been at times uh, since he shifted back to the outside. That, you know, maybe during this break, you know, Buki didn't play in the Big 12 championship game. He didn't up on the field defensively. Right. And they, they shifted Trey Norwood over to that safety position. So 
Either it's Trey getting more time there or maybe Buki getting more comfortable and he's back in that rotation. There's a lot of hope that you have, but for the most part, I, I mean, it's just there's not going to be a magic dust that's sprinkled and all of a sudden it's Alabama's defense going up against Alabama's defense. The good news is, and I think you hit on this, not to get away from OU's defense, I don't know if Alabama's secondary has seen anything like this. Now, some would argue, yeah, they do every day in practice. Fair enough. But there's a much different speed you go out and practice than you do in the game. And this this would be my take even if Marquise doesn't play, and I think he's very important. So, um, yeah, I I, I can't call many concerns over the defense, but I can say this much. Um, It's not as if they're just kicking their feet up and saying, well, we can't stop them, so – we're just going to go out there and uh, hope that our offense can outscore them. I think the key, I mean, Captain Obviously here, and they've been a lot better at it over the last two games, create turnovers. Yeah. You know, where are we without two fumbles against West Virginia? Uh, where are we without a safety against Texas? And the interception late whenever they were trying to make it a little bit nerve-wracking. So I think, uh, you know, those, those four moments right there are pretty key, and they've all, uh, they've all been – caused by defensive pressure so got to get pressure on Tua or Jalen Hurts and force them to be a little uncomfortable like Georgia did but look at Alabama's matchup against Oklahoma's offense I mean it's just it's true regardless of who the defense is the one guy you you just can't account for fully is Kyler Murray if you do so you 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 just leave yourself so susceptible in the flat you leave yourself susceptible down the seam do you feel like this is a game where we might see Kyler do some things that we haven't seen through the first 13 games, maybe run some more, throw some option in there, something different from Kyler that we haven't seen? Are you, you know, is it one of those, if it's not broke, don't fix it type situations with this offense? I think that uh, that's kind of become a trademark if in very limited exposure to what Lincoln Riley has done every week. I mean, you go back and you know, watch early some of the things that he was doing against Texas Tech. There was a guy named Jeremiah Hall who was used right. prominently in the early game plan whom we hadn't seen much at all. You know, you, you go back to last year's Rose Bowl, and maybe part of it was necessitated by uh, Baker's injury, and there were formations in which Kyler was, was out on the field quite a bit. So, well, I say quite a bit in key situations maybe is a better way to put it. So I, I think that the creativity of Lincoln Riley has been on display all season long. I mean, I, I can't remember which game. Maybe it was, maybe it was West Virginia, or maybe it was the, the game before that um, where you started seeing instead of the running back as a pitch guy, the running back's a lead blocker. So mm-hmm. Tyler fakes it to Trey Sermon, and Sermon's his lead blocker through the hole. So I think there's a lot of really fun things that Lincoln has always done. So creativity will be on high. Think about the mind you have in there as well, too. You have Shane Beamer. You have Dennis Simmons. You have Cale Gundy. You have Bill Beatonbow. So I think they're always going to be trying to come up with ways uh, to cause confusion and if you can start getting inside those backers' heads a little bit, you know, you might be winning the battle. They, I mean, I was talking to Cole Kublik about this. He's uh, an SEC dude, I guess you could say, former Auburn player who covers the league now for jocks. And he said, yeah, I, I kind of – I found myself sold on Lincoln Riley whenever I saw Kirby Smart have to call a timeout because he was confused by an offensive formation. Then Oklahoma came out in a different formation and scored a touchdown. So uh, this this is a guy that um, in Lincoln Riley that has done a good job in creating chaos, and I think it's uh, I think it's going to be really fun to see what they try to come up with because yeah, I'm with you. You're going to see some different things. All right, we got to step away from football for for just a second uh, because spring sports are are coming and they're coming fast. Oklahoma softball. One of you, one of the hats you wear is the play by play voice of Oklahoma softball, and again, it's oh, yeah. just it's been. It's been, you know, a pleasure to be able to see see this team go through the World Series and win it two seasons ago to be there again last season. I mean, it's it's not like you're calling softball for, you know, for the the Dirt League team. But, you know, when when you lose the the pitchers that Oklahoma lost and Paige Lowry, Paige Parker, you never underestimate a Patty Gasso coach team. But you kind of felt like this team was just going to be a step behind what they have been over the past three or four seasons until – uh, G. Juarez announces her transfer from Arizona State yeah. to Oklahoma. All of a sudden, in my mind, you know, as a guy who's been there with you uh, on press row, this mm-hmm. this puts Oklahoma in the same spot they've, they've been on there. They should be the heavy favorite for the Big 12. They should be a heavy favorite to go back to Oklahoma City. 
you called the game against Oklahoma and Arizona State in, in the World Series last year. In your opinion, what is OU getting in Juarez, and what does that do for the makeup of this team as they hit the spring? Well, it sounds crazy to say this, but it gives them a left-handed pitcher that they didn't have. <laughs> you know, they were they, – they, Nicole Mendez had worked a little bit, but I think now you bring in G. Juarez, and Nicole can be a, a spot duty pitcher uh, if necessary – or your everyday center fielder, you know, and, and I think that's going to be a natural progression with Mendez to move to center field. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that, with that said, what does G Juarez bring? Now, again, this is very limited exposure, but she was a bulldog, man. I, I, I haven't dug into Arizona state's program too terribly much, but when I looked at the numbers and whenever I was preparing for that game, I kept asking people, how is Arizona State in this position? You know, they have, they, have no, they have no business being in the College World Series just based on some of their numbers and their talent. And the point was brought up, where do you see this, this girl pitch? And when I sat and watched G. Juarez pitch, one word kept coming up, and it was a bulldog. She's a bulldog. She didn't have her best stuff against Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And darn near shut them down. I mean, I think it was, what, Jocelyn hit a couple bombs. That was really it for the right. Oklahoma offense that day. So, um, I, I am so excited to watch what can happen whenever this, you know, this new Sooner pitching staff. Yeah, you have an, you have an all new staff. Missy Lombardi is up in Oregon now, which still I don't think it's registered with me yet that Coach Lombardi's not there anymore, and and she's she's dealing with an Oregon staff and not having her hands on G Juarez. So I am I'm very excited about the intangibles it appears that she's going to bring, and you also in what you know the Jamie, what she's brought from the SEC, she's seen the best of the best. So mm-hmm. she understands exactly what the, the Sooners need and exactly what these pitchers need to be successful. So you're now looking at a true staff. You have the, the girl that transferred in, for Shannon, uh, Shannon Sale, who transferred in from Florida International. You've got uh, Parker Conrad, who was in from Missouri, who, uh, you know, I, I say this, Parker looks great. Parker has committed herself to her strength and conditioning and she looks great you have mariah lopez who now you know let's see how she deals with competition i hope it helps mariah find another level you add g Warriors into that mix i feel like i'm leaving someone out even uh so you start looking at that four to five deep rotation and that's that's really good and let's let's face it you're gonna have to be good as you always are if you want to go to the college world series and win it but you're gonna have to be good in the big 12 this year because what Mike White has been able to transfer over, and I use that word transfer over to Texas, mm-hmm. is um, is almost bothersome with how impressive it is, you know, with some of the talent that has followed him from Oregon to Texas. So uh, it's not going to be a cakewalk, uh, as it never is with what Baylor has done, what Texas has done. You have Jamie Pinkerton's done a nice job at Iowa State. Texas Tech has grinded away on the recruiting trail this year. Um, I mean, it, it's it's no, and you only have. I don't know if you realize this, Matt, and I just did the other day with the transfer of last year's game from Ames to Norman. You only have one home series in the Big Twelve this year. One, oh wow! No, I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. I mean, there's one home Big Twelve series this year, so it's going to be a challenging season for the Sooners schedule-wise, as it always is. But man, bringing in Juarez to that lineup of uh, pitchers is just. It's got me, in case you can't tell, I've talked about it for three minutes. It's got me jacked up about their potential in 2019. Well, and, the, and with Alo being a sophomore and, and having a full year in, they're, they're, they're going to be as explosive as ever, I believe, from the plate as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, who do you pitch around in this right. lineup? Some, I, I had the theory, and we talked about this a lot on the broadcast, is, hey, at some point people are going to stop pitching to her. Okay, great. Well, who are you going to pitch to? Right. Jay Knighton's still there. Uh, you're going to pitch to her. You're going to pitch to Kelly Clifton. You're going to pitch to Sid Romero. I know Coach Gasso tried her in the leadoff spot at times last year, and uh, at times it worked, at times it didn't. But I I think you might see that again this year with Jocelyn. So you're going to walk the leadoff hitter to start a game? So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to not just see Jocelyn with another year progression, but then what do you do with this lineup, Matt? Right. Is 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 Grace Green going to be your everyday shortstop? Because Kaylee was so successful at second base, so do you just bring in someone new there to maybe fill that position for four years? Or, you know, does Kaylee make that shift over to short with Kelsey Arnold out? Who steps up behind the plate? You know, has, has injuries necessitated that, 
you know, you have to maybe go find someone else to help Lindsey Elam with the depth behind there. I don't know. Uh, and then what's that outfield rotation going to look like? Because, you know, Nicole Pinley, to me, was one of the greatest outfielders in the history of OU softball, and that's saying quite a bit with her defensive ability. So it's going to be really fun to see how they tinker with this lineup and what they come up with come the uh, first weekend of February in 2019. All right, Chris, well, real, real fast. Oklahoma wins the Orange Bowl if – How's that for a quick transition? <laughs> I like it. I like it, and it's smooth. Uh, if they can force two turnovers. If Oklahoma can force two turnovers, I think they win this football game. Now, I will add this. I think they're going to move the football. I really do. Right. And I think they're going to move the I don't want to say at will, but I think they're going to be able to move the football. Uh, if they can force a couple of turnovers, look out. I might be back on with you in a couple of weeks talking about a road trip to Santa Clara. All right, we're, we're going to mark that down as, as, a, as a date then. Um, Do it. Ha, tell, tell listeners, how can they follow you? You're on Twitter, you're on the radio, you're on TV. Where, where can they find you to, to get more Chris Plank in their life? Well, I, I live on Twitter. I really do. In fact, my wife is uh, my wife and I are going to have lunch right now, and the first demand she'll make of me is to put my phone away. So uh, easy to find, easy to follow on Twitter, at Plank Show. We, we have our own podcast as well, too, where you can find information at Soonersports.tv slash podcast. Uh, I've been working a lot on Big 12 today on Sirius XM Channel 375. And for those of you in, well, I guess it's not even area-wide with the website, but uh, 9 to 11 a.m. every single weekday morning on Sports Talk 1400 here in Norman. That's also 99.3 FM. And uh, you can find it on SportsTalk1400.com. I appreciate you letting me pimp it up, Matt. Hey, man, thanks so much for taking your time to be with us. Merry Christmas, brother, and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, Merry Christmas to you, man. I appreciate you a ton, and I uh, can't wait to see you uh, soon. Thanks. See you, bud. See you, bud. You know, it's always, it's always a joy to have guys. You know, Chris Plank, and, and I say this about – it seems like every time we get to spend time with them, um, I say this. Two of the best guys, Chris Plank, Toby Rowland, two of the greatest guys, not just what they do, but their personalities and, and, and just the, the time that they give small time guys like, like you and I, um, one thing that, he, that I, I really, I, I don't know, man, I, I, I was fishing a little bit. I was, I was hoping Chris would say, yeah, it's, it's going to be all right. It's a little bit better than, than what it is perceived to be was with the question about the defense and he, he did nothing to soothe my concerns about this Oklahoma defense. And obviously next week we'll, we'll devote the show to, um, to, to the bowl game, the Oklahoma, Alabama orange bowl. But man, that, that the defense, I, I said it last week. I said, I just said it to Chris, I'm not worried about Alabama's defense. I'm worried about Oklahoma's defense. <laughs> and so far, not a single person has been able to say, don't. <laughs> you know, I feel like it's just across the board. Yeah, you're going to have to outscore them, and they're going to score a lot of points type situation. It, um, go ahead. It's funny because you mentioned guys like Chris Plank, Toby Rowland, giving their time to people who, <laughs> like you and I, who, who don't really have this large voice in the in the Sooner community, but, one but we're thing, getting larger. Sixteen hundred plus downloads last week. One thing that's difficult, I feel like, for us to at least consistently wrap our minds around is is it's we don't consistently think of these guys as fans, but they were fans before they ever entered the broadcast right. scene. Right, and so they're they're on the same journey that we're on, and I think that's why you get those answers about the defense because just as much as they have a job to do, they're they're a fan on the other half. And they're looking at it and evaluating it and giving the same responses and giving the same types of answers that that we would to those questions. And so I just wanted to throw that out there because I know for me personally, I look at those guys and, and it's hard for me to say, yeah, they're just a fan, but it, they really are. And it's <laughs> most true and simple definition, if you will. Yeah, and that's, to me, again, that's what makes it fun uh, for those guys. Um, okay, so listen to Sooner Nation online podcast, Harlan Sports, harlan-sports.com. Rich DeCray, I'm Matt Hofeld. Uh, something we're, we were talking about before uh, before Chris Plank really interrupted us, um, quarterback position at the University of Oklahoma. I think I think it's, it's a huge hindrance to Spencer Rattler to not be able to be here until the summer. I get it. I understand why he's not. 
Uh, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, everyone thought when, when Spencer committed to Oklahoma, we're looking at Kyler Murray being a two-year starter, and there's no hurry to get here. Oh, wait a minute. Kyler Murray's the number nine overall pick in the Major League Baseball draft. He's only going to be here for one more year. At that point, it's way too late to get all your academic affairs in order to get here and be here for the spring semester. But when we, we've we talked about, even last week, we talked about Tanner Mordecai. We talked about, um, <laughs> I'm blinking. Uh, Austin Kendall. Thank you. We talked about Tanner Mordecai. We talked about, no, we talked about Austin Kendall. That, I think it's going to be a fun quarterback battle through the spring. And that's going to, that's going to go a long way in the area of, how good this team is going to be next year. Cause you're, you're, you've got running backs. You've got, man, you've got receivers, especially after this class that just came in, you've got a crud ton of receivers so much. So you're starting to see guys like AD Miller, just kind of Homer Simpson, you know, that, that, that meme yeah, where they just kind of slip away like into the brush. Well, it's not, I mean, look, he's just in a bad spot. He, but, but here's the reality is, there are we're we're losing a good portion of receivers. This is a complete uh, I mean, side conversation. I know, all of a but sudden. who are you losing? You're you're you potentially lose Marquise Brown to the NFL draft. Potentially, yeah. Yeah, so he could be one that's gone, and you're graduating two others. Lee Morris uh, being one of those. Okay. Someone else being the no, other. I'm, saying, I'm blanking on names at the moment. Well, look, Jeff. Uh, so is it Jeff Padette? That's an old one. No, I mean, look, you're 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 Lee Morris has the the Lee Morris connection with Kyler Murray has been a lot of fun. All right, um, but I mean, when you think about we, we game on the line, Texas Big Twelve Championship game, who do you want that ball thrown to? I mean, all he does is catch touchdown. I, I get it, I get it. But I'm saying you got to have that <laughs> contested catch uh-huh. in the end zone with the defender literally holding one of your arms down. So you start going through the list of Oklahoma's receivers. You're four or five guys down before you get to Lee Morris. Are you not? You are. So I mean, I mean, look, I, I'm not Lee Morris, good dude, man, but. Nick Baskin is the other guy you're thinking of. And, I mean, look, those guys, thankful for that they're Sooners. Thankful, I mean, especially with Nick and, and we're coming coming back from the injuries. And they've had their share of big play moments. But you got CeeDee Lamb coming back next year. you got Grant Calcaterra coming back next year. you you got Trajan Bridgers you're adding into this. I mean, you've got so many receivers that it, it makes sense to see a guy like A.D. Miller step out because I feel like he's in that same mold as as Nick Baskin or, or you know, some of these Lee Morris. But how far down do you want to be on the depth chart for how long? And right. when you see four- and five-star talent coming in, it's just an unfortunate situation where he's buried. Now, here's the other question. When we kind of begin to approach this last week, we, we talked about a little bit with all the rumors of quarterback transfers. You know, um, all of a sudden, this Fields kid out of Georgia is making some noise. Baseball player, football player, wants to possibly pursue both sports. Oklahoma has a precedent of it. ESPN reporting that Oklahoma's one of the four potential landing spots for this kid. I, I mean, that all those things begin to, to circle and play. Spencer Rattler's coming. I don't believe whether, – whether Oklahoma gets a transfer quarterback or whether it comes down between Tanner Mordecai and Austin Kendall, I don't believe Spencer Rattler's playing next year. I, I, I don't. I, I like well, the kid. And that's something that's traditional at Oklahoma is, is to redshirt right. as a freshman. I, I would – if anybody would like to – would I mean really just kind of put this out there? Find that true freshman who started because they earned that position, and it wasn't because of an injury. And and I'm talking about under Bob Stoops and now Lincoln Riley. It, you just, I mean, yeah, I, I'm trying to. Landry Jones was a redshirt freshman, mm-hmm. but he started because of injury to Sam Bradford. I, uh-huh. I mean, Red Bomar. Ooh, yeah, I guess you'd have to go all the way back to Red Bomar. I, I wasn't thinking about it. I'm just saying it's big it's red, very, big red, red. It's, right. it's, uh, it's a very rare occurrence. So I don't disagree with what you're saying about Spencer Rattler. I think he's coming in because he's also coming in in the summer. We can expect him to redshirt to mm-hmm. learn the ins and outs of this offense. I mean, now he gets four games. I, uh, I think you'll does. see him, he but he's not going to be 
I think you're going to see him what what he looks like, but he, it's going to be garbage time play next year for him for four games. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that. So when you throw a guy in the mix like a Justin Fields, uh, Khalil Tate, which I'm understanding he's more now leaning towards staying at Arizona. Jalen Hurts, who everybody kind of feels like is going to be like a quote free agent. The, the kid from Miami announced his transfer. Um, he's not going to be an immediate player, though. I, I think Justin Fields kind of has a quasi-crazy workable appeal to be able to play immediately um, next season. But if you get a guy like Khalil Tate or a guy like Justin Fields, I think if you get any quarterback transfer, really, that's it for Austin Kendall. I, that, that's the only thing when we talk about this position and we talk about guys coming in and coming out, I feel like another transfer in and Austin Kendall is it, it, that's it for him. That that's not. And again, not a knock on Austin Kendall, but I mean, how many times do you have to be the next man up before mm-hmm. you're finally going, okay, you know, uh, Sam Houston state will take me and, and I'll play right now there for a couple of years and still have a chance to go and play in the NFL. That I mean, I, I just I kind of feel like that's where he's sitting right now. If Oklahoma takes in another transfer, which that's just all hearsay at this point, and it's going to be hearsay until we get in. I feel like deep into next month, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, I was I was reading something. I didn't know where you it, went. It kind of intrigued me. Okay. Here, um, because I I hadn't had an opportunity over the past several hours to even look at any news concerning Justin Fields. Um, And I didn't know this. This is what what had intrigued me is there's talk of Dwayne Haskins entering the NFL draft, which is – Oh, I think there's more than talk. I I think it's almost a done deal. It's an expectation for sure. Um, Needless to say, that wasn't at all what you were asking me. (laughs) I think we need to move on. <laughs> I, think, I think that ship has sailed. I, I just, I, I mean, it's a fun conversation to have about transfer quarterbacks. You, you got to know there's a cost, and we, we've talked about that. We talked about it even last week. There's going to be a cost with a transfer quarterback, but there's some guys that are worth the cost, and and I feel like this kid coming out of Georgia is worth the cost. But again, that's just all hearsay right now, and it's not even. I, I don't know. There's there's nothing substantial to it. And he's practicing getting ready for a bowl game with the Bulldogs. And I'm all go Georgia in that game. And we're going to talk about that. Speaking of bowl games, it gets very real for the Big 12 uh, starting this week. A week from today, again, we're recording this on, on Wednesday night, December 19th, it is when the Big 12 kicks off its slate of bowl games. I just want to go down here and, and get, a, um, just get a couple of thoughts from you on Big 12 bowls. California plays TCU in the Cheez-It Bowl. I mean, I would hope there's some free crackers involved for the football players in this thing, but I'm willing to bet with NCAA rules there's probably not because it goes over some maximum number of benefits they're allowed to get for bowl games. Cal, TCU. TCU is a a team that, I mean, you've got Jalen Rager who was fantastic for them, but, I mean, TCU – the quarterback issues all over the field. Defensively, I feel like you give Gary Patterson three weeks to prepare for you. He's going to have a game plan. But can TCU muster enough offense to play to to beat Cal? The the Golden Bears are one point favorite. Um, a lot of fun, I think. I, I like I like a bowl game between two six and six teams or a six and six and a seven and five team. I just to me those are fun because you got another one with Baylor Vanderbilt and the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl. I I, I do miss the the good old days of just the the bowls being like named like the Texas Bowl and without a <laughs> without a sponsor. Um, and it, go ahead. I'm gonna be honest with you, man. I've got TCU in that one. Well, I. I, I I can see it. I'm not picking against them at this mm-hmm. point, but I'm just saying I think it's going to be hard. And I think you see the 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 point spread being at one in favor of Cal. I think it's pretty spot on. I think that these two teams, all things are even there. Um, I'm not a big fan of Pac-12 of football. And so I, I think I've, I've constantly said Pac-12 is one of the more overrated overrated conferences but when you look at TCU this is a team that's been through the ringer this year they started a fifth year walk-on quarterback (laughs) against Oklahoma State in their final game but they ended up beating the Cowboys in Fort Worth I I, 
TCU has a chance here. Hey, I'm just going to let you know at this point in time, uh, we have a college bowl pick em Yeah, how you doing with going that? on? I have not lost a game, okay? Oh, like, look knock at on, you, dude. Knock on wood, but toot my own horn at the same point. I have a secret. Okay, you um, use someone else's picks. No, yeah. no, you want to know what it is? Yeah. For the, for the first eight games of the bowl season, I just picked the favorite. <laughs> and so far, it's panned out for me. Well, then that means but California, it, they're the favorite. Well, that's what I'm saying is it starts to change a little ways down the road, and I've picked I picked against TCU initially. I've gone back and I've switched it to TCU instead of Cal, and, and I've submitted it, and I'm leaving it that way. I think I've picked three three teams that aren't the favorites for the whole bowl season, and I'm hoping it pans all out right, right. that I get them all correct and I win a million dollars. I hope one of those okay. teams you picked was Oklahoma, and, and that pans out. I right. I just want to run through here real fast and just tell me the the, the games that. That you, uh, we all know you're going to watch Oklahoma, Alabama, but what other games? There's the Camping World Bowl, West Virginia, Syracuse, old Big East matchup. That game really intrigues me just because of the yeah. nostalgia there. I love Matt Campbell versus Mike Leach in the Alamo Bowl, Washington State, Iowa State. Um, Missouri, Oklahoma State intrigues me because you got the old Big 12, old Big 8 matchup. And then, I, I, dude, I'm all the way. I, I, I am not joking about this. Texas, Georgia in the Sugar Bowl, January 1st. I have a Georgia Bulldogs t-shirt that I will be wearing that day. I'm all in SEC that day because it's Georgia against Texas. I, I don't care. I, I, I don't care what anybody says. Boo. I have reached that point with Texas. I don't care, man. And and Georgia's the 13-point favorite at this point. I hope they win by 31. <laughs> I will say uh, I'm not as intrigued by West Virginia Syracuse as you are. I think it's going to be – well, without Will Greer. Greer. Yeah, yeah. Playing that it. makes sense. And, and that's, a, that's a huge difference maker for West Virginia. I know that they play with this untraditional defense that, that will probably give Syracuse some fits. We've got to remember Syracuse is that one team who – didn't they play Clemson and basically take them wire to wire right, right. without Trevor Lawrence available though? So, uh, again, I just really don't know what to expect from either of these teams as I don't – Think the ACC is fantastic, and and I don't think it's better than Pac-12. I don't think West Virginia is all that great on offense without Will Greer, but we'll see how that pans well, out. We'll for see them. the future of West Virginia for sure. The one that I'm truly interested in, as you have mentioned, is that Washington State Iowa State. Iowa State has made a living on defense doing. Things with, with lesser quality, what, what some people would say is lesser quality defensive players than what other teams are doing. And, and they've been able, not only in the Big 12, um, but just across the board when they've played teams, they've been able to pull off upsets. So what and, you're saying is Matt Campbell can take guys absolutely. that other schools don't want, absolutely. and he's but, okay with But at that. the same time, is their offense, I mean, it's it's been – this roulette of quarterbacks. Yeah. You know, yeah. he hasn't had a quarterback play an entire season since he's been the head coach. But it's only been two seasons. Still. I'm just and, saying. And they're still able to compete on no, the big yeah. stage. I mean, so Matt, it's, Matt Campbell it's is quickly becoming that guy that you don't want to play. Right. And, and he's he's they're scrappy, they're they're physical. Mm -hmm. But I, I got it. We're we're so over time already, but I got to jump in here. By the way, next week, shameless plug, next week it's all bowl game. Next week it's you and me talking uh, Alabama, Oklahoma. That's it. But Mike Gundy today, they, they their class I think was ranked 43rd, 44th, somewhere around there by 24-7 sports. They, they did pick up a late four-star commitment that gives them two four-stars for uh, for this class. But here's when he asked about quarterbacks because they're – their quarterback that they've got coming in with, with this class was a three-star kid, uh, Brendan Costello. His offers were Air Force, Army, Brown, and Eastern Washington. And they asked Mike Gundy specifically about the quarterback position. He says, we go after every eight-star, six-star, four-star, and every star in the world we can get around here, and they all go to other schools at this point, so we go get whatever else is out there. Just some quick thoughts. How do you feel about that? And that's bogus for me, and, and here's why. is because I'm going to bring out this really good example. In-state, you had a just this kid, a three-star recruit named Sam Bradford. He had offers from Oklahoma, Iowa State, Texas A&M, and Texas Tech. The biggest name, obviously, Oklahoma on there. And you see 
if you can actually take someone and, and develop them, and I believe Mike Gundy has that ability. Mm-hmm. He's shown that he can do it. His is more on the, the wide receiver end of things than it is with the quarterbacks or the running backs, whoever that may be. They they have the staple wide receiver in the Big 12 each and every year, Tylen Wallace being one of those. And so I, I just don't buy into a comment like that, going and getting who you can. I, I think there are big-time recruits that are undervalued. You just have to do some evaluation yourself and then pull that diamond out of the rough. All right, he's Rich. I'm Matt. We're over time, so we got to uh, give it a closeout. Big thanks to Chris Plank uh, for stopping in and saying hey to us for a little bit. Uh, Heartland-Sports.com on Twitter, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. We'd love to hear your feedback. Give us some thoughts, some questions, suggestions for uh, other episodes. Talk to you next week. Merry Christmas, everybody. Rich, Merry Christmas. Boomer Sooner, everybody. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.